Yes, clinical research data all falls under HIPAA, and you have to be incredibly careful with someone's information. When we do a study like this, there's only one place that patient name uh, shows up, and that's on the informed consent. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere in the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial, 102.9. Here today in the MRN facility with Dr. Greg Chiklis. Greg, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Steve. Thanks for coming in today and talking to us about our story. Absolutely. You, you've got a story, and we're about to, you know, peel that back a little bit so that people can understand what you're doing. So tell me a little bit more. I know, I know we talked sure. almost three years ago as you were candidate for the town council, but clearly a lot has happened in the three years. So oh. what are you up to today? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's really hard to predict over the last three years really what's going to happen tomorrow with everything that's been going on with the pandemic. and. You know, we went from being one of the first companies in the country to be supporting one of the first diagnostic tests on the market and all the challenges with just getting the supplies, getting those out to folks, mm -hmm. and then getting manufacturing equipment in here and getting it up and running. And the next thing you know, two months later, you're making 5,000 control packs every day and you're getting them out to labs as quickly as you can to help them get standardized and get some testing in place. And, you know, it was straight out for the company we were collecting samples, developing tests, doing as much work as we can to work as quickly as we possibly can. And uh, so it was quite a ride during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So let's develop that a little bit more for the listeners. So MRN Diagnostics is the name of the company and effectively you build kind of the test kits that then based upon the test can determine COVID, no COVID, exactly. uh, blood test results, things of that yep. sort. Exactly. So my companies over the years have always been focused on helping other folks get accurate test results. And we do that by offering all the products and services to clients for our own tests and for our clients' tests to do every single phase of development from the initial research to how we validate the product, how it's manufactured, how it goes out into the clinical marketplace. And then once it gets out into the marketplace, how do we quality control it to make sure people are getting those accurate test results? Mm -hmm. So we've been doing this for quite some time, whether it's COVID or flu or HIV or some other infectious diseases and cancers. We're always working with the developers to give them the tools to make the most accurate tests they can because if you have a very accurate and sensitive test, you can diagnose that patient while they're still healthy. And that solves a lot of problems. Right especially as we come out of this quote come out of in this post-pandemic period one of the things i think you're well aware of because that's you're living it sure there are the rapid tests are still available but the reporting is rather spotty because that systematic piece of all the test results were reported so you had kind of a big picture you could tell what was going on that doesn't exist today that's correct that is correct and it's really you know so it's a trade-off, okay? One of the major changes we saw during the pandemic was the testing went from the centralized testing lab mm -hmm. all the way into the bedroom. Right. We'd never seen that before in this industry. The home kits. <laughs> exactly, and getting folks trained and making sure they do that accurate. We actually have an untrained user laboratory here where we give people kits that have never run them before right. to see how accurately they can do that. But you're right, there's no centralized. You can get kits anywhere now. It's really hard to track what's going on. We certainly know there's another wave coming. Mm -hmm. And what we've been doing now is we've been multiplexing the tests. So now, if you go in for a test 
and you have something that's respiratory going on, they're going to tell you whether it's flu A, flu B, RSV, or COVID all at the same time. Oh, okay, and wow. so once again, if we can detect somebody with those early symptoms, sure. we can keep them from getting other people sick. Absolutely. We can keep them from donating blood and causing a transfusion issue, whatever mm -hmm. that may be, right? right? So infection detection, closing that window, getting those people healthy so we can keep them from getting other people sick, but at the same time, treat folks early on so that we can be successful with those treatments. Mm -hmm. So it's been quite a challenge. We've watched this whole roller coaster of COVID. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not too excited about somebody putting a swab and, and running another sample on me at this point in time. We've all been through this so much. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, we're still trying to keep people informed, keep people tested, so we can keep from the spread. We're just about to enter into a flu season. And it's a very, very important time for vaccinations. It's a very important time for testing. And for anybody that has symptoms, just to stay away from other folks and protect themselves either with a mask or do the appropriate things with hygiene. And we can stay ahead of this thing because now we have all the tools that we needed. Yeah, I think that's the key point because it was always kind of, you know, well, you got a little bit of cold, you still go into work, et cetera. But Right. That should change, and I'm not sure if it really has changed a whole lot yet. Certainly, we, you're working on the testing, so at least if somebody gets an indication, oh, I'm not feeling so well today, is it yep. this, do I test, etc., they can at least do that and then protect themselves, take those actions, but it's going to be that entire mindset. Exactly, and you know, we still have two major problems going on here. We have the folks that have other conditions that make COVID worse for them. You know, it's important for folks to have access to these tests to screen themselves at home. So hopefully that they can stay there and if they're sick and not get other folks sick. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to be able to use these tools moving forward. Uh, that with the vaccinations and what we have seen by following the vaccinations these last year, year and a half is the antibody levels are way, way higher than they used to be on the earlier vaccines. Um, and so that kind of leads me into one of the major projects that we're working on right now is that we have been contracted by a not-for-profit company called Lidos that works with the U.S. government to build a big repository for COVID research because even though you know a majority of us do okay with COVID, we still have a certain population of folks that have these concurrent conditions mm -hmm. that, you know, diabetes, obesity, um, and then you also have folks that are on cancer therapies and they're Correct. immune suppressed. Right. And so there's a number of folks out there that still are gonna need help when they get infected. Right. And so the first part of this is we're building this giant repository to collect antibody samples on folks. And that's why I was so thrilled you could come in, I come in here to talk to me today because this is a very important project that we're working on here. We're trying to build a repository so that we can understand the next wave that comes. Mm -hmm. So we've been asked to collect about 4,000 donors of various different um, cohorts. Some of folks that may have been vaccinated, that got infected, mm -hmm. other folks that have never been infected. Um, we're looking for folks with a new bivalent vaccine. And then what we do is we look at all of the immunology profiles of these people to look at all the different antibodies they have mm -hmm. under these different situations and it teaches us the best time to give a vaccine. What titer do we not need to give a vaccine? If somebody has a strong enough concentration, mm -hmm. you know, you can compare this to hepatitis vaccinations. Anybody that works in a food service, they need to make sure that they have a hepatitis B vaccination. So what do we do? We test your blood. If you have a certain level of it, you're great. 
you can continue on, have a nice life. Okay, but if your level drops to an unsafe level, you go back and get a booster. Sure. Okay, that's where we're going with this. So, you know, the first part of this is understanding the body's response to COVID, really researching that, and then we're building this giant research archive for them to use for researchers worldwide to make sure they can stay up with the virus, make sure that we know the right treatments, we know the right targets, and really to give them the tools that we never had when COVID first came out. Mm -hmm. So let's unpack that building this repository. The repository effectively is, as I understand it, briefly in terms of kind of the preview, but you can help explain to make sure that mm -hmm. both I and everybody else understands, what are we getting, what is he trying to do? You, you take a blood sample and then based upon kind of the demographics. So if somebody's had COVID, not had COVID, had COVID a couple of times, right. uh, where their vaccine levels are, et cetera, you kind of categorize that piece, but then that becomes the test bed. That's correct. For other test users. Exactly, so you always need to prove indication of use on a test. And what that means is you have to have very, very qualified populations you're looking at. Mm -hmm. You've heard this with different, you know, the drug was approved for people of this age, right. but now they've expanded and they've gone wide on it, right. okay? That's kind of what we're trying to do here. As and well. that's all part of the normal scientific process that I know has gotten some bad rap because of some of the media around it, et cetera, and whatever. Absolutely. But there is a scientific process, and you're effectively building that test bed such that all the other tests and studies, and yeah, some of those tests and studies especially in the longevity piece, mm -hmm. those take years to do and we're, we're still in kind of. Exactly, and that's why we're building the tools for that. You know, if you were to go back and go through my facility, I have a quarter million clinical research samples we've collected over the last 10 years. Cancers, infectious diseases, and we're constantly using those to help develop better tests, to do more research. We're doing the same thing here, but it's specifically for COVID. Right. All right, and it will really allow us to understand what we need to do to protect ourselves and to stay ahead of this thing. And you're exactly right. We need to, it'll, we'll be studying all the different cohorts of folks and all the different possibilities so we can learn as much as we possibly can how to detect it early and how to treat folks mm -hmm. and how to keep it from spreading. So in terms of building this repository, this mm -hmm. is where you're looking for the public to become involved to say, hey, I'll take part of this test. Is this kind of like a one and done thing or are there a couple of opportunities for sure. so, participation? Yeah, so thanks Steve. So we, we do a lot of clinical research here. And what does that mean? That means a lot of the cases we may collect a blood sample for somebody because we're developing a test and we have to validate it. Mm -hmm. So if I make a COVID test, I might need to have 500 people that are negative for COVID. So if you've never had COVID before, you know, we, we have a clinical research study that's all set up, it's all IRB approved, it's all consented. IRB? Yep, IRB is an investigational review board. So before we take a tube of blood out of anybody, it has to go through an ethics board. It needs to have to make sure that we're collecting it for a good purpose, that it's safe for the donor, that we're not collecting too much blood. Mm -hmm. right? Everything is all about the safety of the patient and not just the materials, but also their data. Right? That's a key piece, and it's, certainly people are worried about these days in terms of the intrusion, if you will, uh, that's right. especially in the medical records place. But yep. you're, you're exactly right. You're structured, you're maintained, your security around the data specifically. Yes, clinical research data all falls under HIPAA, and you have to be incredibly careful with someone's information. Mm -hmm. When we do a study like this, there's only one place that patient name uh, shows up, and that's on the informed consent. After we describe the whole study to them and what we're going to do and why we're collecting those couple of tubes of blood, they sign that consent. 
that signature goes and gets locked away somewhere. Right. From that point forward, that person is an ID number. So it's just ID, a digital number, whether it's a QR code, that's a string exactly of digits, right. whatever, that then follows that sample throughout the rest of the processing, but there's no, that's John Doe, that's Jane, that's Steve. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We can't, even take, we can't even take things that we could possibly research to get back to the donor, like a date of birth or a street address, things so like that. So nothing else. I can ask you your age, I can't ask you your date of birth, things okay. like that. Yep. So that's all important to maintain the integrity, right? Yep. And so then what happens? So you come in to donate, you get interviewed for about 45 minutes, okay? And it's questions about when was your vaccine, you know, were you sick? When were you sick? How did you feel? Did you mm -hmm. recover quickly? All the things that we're trying to figure out. And then we're looking at, and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna collect what are called serum samples that contain all the antibodies. And so when you first come in, you're gonna donate about a half a bag of blood, as if you, like if you went to a blood drive, you do a whole bag of sure. blood. Yeah. We're gonna take a half, half a bag, 30 days apart. So the first one is for a serum collection, and we'll collect about 150 mils of blood, and that will turn into about 45 to 50 de-identified secure samples that end up in our archive, all right? And then we come back 30 days later, we do the same thing, we get plasma cells, and then we also collect what are called PBMCs, which are the immune cells in your body that make all the antibodies and respond oh, to okay. disease. Yeah. So we can, so by, and that's a very, very difficult collection in that, well, it's not a difficult collection, it's just a blood tube, but then we have to process it in a very certain way right. and purify the cells and storm at <coughs> minus 180. And so, right. so because you have integrity. From a user perspective, the donation process is simple. It's, it's kind simple. of like a blood donation, blood drive, et cetera. Yep. But then what you do behind it is where that difficulty lies. And that's where we put our whole scientific team on it. And we've got, um, obviously, our clinical folks are running samples in the lab, so we'll be doing all the different COVID tests on it. Mm -hmm. All right, and once again, that's all de-identified. That just links to the sample. In the lab, they're processing all of these samples, they're characterizing them, they're analyzing them. We even have this thing called a controlled rate freezer where they go from refrigerated temperatures down to minus 180 at a certain rate, so the cells are all frozen perfectly the way they need to be. So we've worked very hard to have a lot of integrity behind this. And then once they go into those tubes, they get scanned into a 2D barcoded system that's completely de-identified, right. right? If I drop those tubes on the floor and I didn't have my key, we're done. Yeah. You just throw them away. So we'd work really, really hard to make sure that HIPAA is followed, patient confidentiality is followed, and patient safety at the sure. same time. Yeah. So you know, this is the first of a very big project, this repository we're building. But there's also another project we're doing, Steve, which has to do with a therapeutic for COVID. And that's the other part of the new facility that we're building. We're working with a company that in Australia that actually has an FDA approval on a therapeutic for COVID that's made from plasma and from blood. And very similar again to hepatitis B. Mm -hmm. If you're exposed to hepatitis B, you go to the doctor and they give you a one mil injection of high titer antibody for hepatitis B. We're collecting antibodies here to make a therapeutic for all of the elderly, for all of the folks that have these extra conditions, immune for the immune compromised, exactly. So um, this therapy will be like a one mil injection and it's made from human plasma. So you take somebody that's recovered from COVID and once the virus is gone, we purify the antibodies and they've got this big facility to do it. And what we're able to do with all of our testing is to get the best, highest titer antibody for these guys mm -hmm. to make sure that it instantly neutralizes the virus. And we showed when we collect these materials, it's, it, um, we were able to publish that it kills every strain of the virus, mm. every strain. 
So the other key difference, too, for the listeners, and help me clarify as well, so this is not a vaccine. This nope. is a therapeutic, meaning this is part of, so if you start getting ill, then that would be part of the treatment plan. That is exactly right. And then the next piece we're looking into is how do we use this treatment for long COVID? Because that's also mm. a very, very big problem. And so this material is derived from convalescent plasma, which is the plasma taken after somebody's been infected. Right. And there's many publications right now where they treated with convalescent plasma during the pandemic, and they were able to take people that had long COVID, 14, 15 months of being positive, and within three weeks they go negative. Hmm. So, you know, we know that it's a very effective treatment. I mean, our body's own immune system is the best way to solve sure. a lot yeah. of problems, It does right? a lot of things naturally, and obviously when you're in you, immune compromised, like you're in a cancer treatment, obviously the body is already working hard to do that piece. Exactly. So you don't want to pick up whatever the airborne sniffles or whatever is and go down the COVID route. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, there's folks that have had COVID in the past that have now recovered from it. Mm -hmm. can donate into these programs and then their plasma gets used to make this therapeutic for folks. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I didn't mention to you, this is the diagnostics division of my company here in Mass, but in Florida, we have blood banks. Okay. And so we were the third largest collector of convalescent plasma in the country during the COVID pandemic. So we're experts at finding this plasma and, and collecting it and using it for therapeutics. Identifying the right sets of the plasma because this may be close but this one is actually better you're exactly right we want to make sure there's enough antibody there to protect the donor mm -hmm. and so we need to do that in a very specific pattern so what we've done is we've from our research we've shown that if you have a certain concentration of antibody you have a much better chance at fighting the virus mm -hmm. at least in a research laboratory, right? And then they're right. going to know more as they do therapies and they start to follow people during the clinical yeah, trials. The but testing, the follow through, the details, all that kind of scientific research then gets analyzed, et cetera, et cetera, and then ultimately gets presented to whether it's FDA, CDC, exactly. et cetera, and says, this is a win. Exactly. This should be good for here. And then Potentially, we can go here because these test results are not yet available, et cetera. Exactly. And I'll be honest with you, the FDA's been fantastic. They've been working with us on this therapy with the company that we're, we're developing it with. Mm -hmm. But we just got done. So we wrote that position paper with Johns Hopkins and Mayo about how to kill the virus using this material. Mm -hmm. And we just supplied the materials. I don't want to take anything away from the guys at Johns Hopkins. <laughs> These guys were outstanding uh -huh. clinicians. We just got done working with them. We just wrote a guidance document for the FDA so they can approve convalescent plasma as a drug therapy now. And we just submitted that. To, so the FDA came to this group of researchers for help because they understand how important this is right. to get people treated. So the FDA is helping us with this to make sure that they can get this out to the market and make sure that it's safe for folks. They're helping us with the therapy. You know, I think everything's lining up very nicely. Mm -hmm. But the one piece we're missing is we need help from the public. We need you folks need to people like me and anybody else around. It just it, exactly. it takes kind of a blood donation time, I think yep, is what you've yep. said. The first one will take you about an hour when you're here. The second one will be about a half an hour to 40 minutes. And you're compensated, too. We give out gift cards. Compensated. So people, yep, people are compensated. Um, they get paid, uh, I think it's a $50 gift card for the first visit, and it's $150 for their second visit. Oh. It's important that they come back for the second visit because that completes the whole set of samples. Right. Which Otherwise, makes it you important would not have research. the full test bed that you really need to go forward. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And I can tell you that we have some of the world's best researchers 
working on these samples. So we're going to know the sequence of every virus that we collect. We're going to know all the antibody profiles. And by having this repository available, researchers will be using it all over the world and accumulating all their data together mm -hmm. so we can use this on a move forward basis. So the repository is great for those reasons, but the other piece I didn't talk about is they've also asked us to make the standard for COVID testing from these materials that we collect. As you know, we're a manufacturing company as well. Right, right. So we'll be building training panels and standards so that not only can researchers work to develop their tests, they can then use our standards to make sure they all work the same. Right. right? So that you can get the same results no matter what test that you run. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that's important. So, you know, you look at COVID as, as a diagnostic in its infancy. We're still figuring out the sequences and the mutations and what we need to do to stay, keep up with the testing. And now we're getting ahead of how to do treat it therapeutically mm -hmm. and how to work with it. And now we're really addressing those challenges of long COVID and the folks that are really struggling with this disease mm -hmm. and the things we can do to help them. These are all the general progressions in science from when you start from here's a new marker, here's a new test, now let's get some therapy, let's get some tests out there, let's make quality control material to make sure people are running the tests correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I'm very proud about is we run a proficiency program here that goes out to 5,000 laboratories across the country and we send them blinded COVID panels to make sure they're doing their work correctly. That's so they like, can test and check their base to validate their base, if you will. And to make sure they're giving accurate results back to the mm -hmm. patient, sure. most important thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely 100%. So we're kind of touching this at all different levels right now. Um, it's very, very important for us to get donors in here mm -hmm. so we can continue this research. You know, many of the people listening to this radio interview today probably were here. We had a lot of people during the pandemic come in and donate. And those samples, we, were, we offered a lot of free testing for folks and we had one of the first tests on the market, but it was a win-win for both of us sure. because you know we had the protocols in place, we would collect a swab sample, and then we'd use that to develop the next three or four tests. Mm -hmm. So the community was a huge help for us with COVID and so were the first responders. Yes. We had, oh man, we had fire engines pulling up, we were backup testing for the state police here. We did Franklin. We did a lot of the surrounding police officers and communities. Mm -hmm. We wanted to give them a leg up. But even those guys, that was all so important for us to be able to get those tests on the market and get our research done. So we're kind of reaching out to the community again. Mm -hmm. We're looking for help this time. We're giving away gift cards. If that helps hey, a little bit. A little bit. incentive. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but it's for a really excellent purpose, Steve, because this research is really, really important for us moving forward, not just for COVID, but for the next one that comes. For whatever, because clearly as we've understood, and you certainly know much more detail about, the virus itself is continuing to mutate. And no, oh, by the way, that's life's working. That's it's right. continuing yep. to adapt. And thereby, if you build the right set, and then with that set of data, can anticipate that this is where they're more likely gonna be expanding yep. in the next time, then that improves Exactly. The therapies, the treatments, et cetera, et cetera. That's exactly right. And we're trying to do what you know happened at the, at the last pandemic. We knew the sequence before it started. That was back in 2002. That was uh, the first SARS, SARS right? right? And yeah, the last SARS pandemic. And it got shut down in about two months because mm -hmm. we had tests. Right. Right? We're, we were caught off guard this time without the tests. Now we're building up what we can to make sure this doesn't happen in the future. Mm -hmm. And you know, the collecting the antibodies and understanding them, and you're exactly right, as the virus mutates, you get different antibodies. That's why it's important to go back and get another vaccination. The new bivalent vaccination covers a whole bunch of new mutations that are in the Omicron that weren't in the previous vaccinations. Sure. Yeah. So it's important stuff. So, you know, we need to stay ahead and know what those are. So if we're collecting 
plasma from folks that are contemporary today, mm -hmm. we're getting the antibodies from the most recent versions of the virus, not the ones from two years ago. Sure. Yeah. And so we need to keep these collections going so we're always staying ahead of the virus mm -hmm. and always having those samples so that we can make sure that we're ready for when, when the next change occurs. Right. So you mentioned you were out fishing. Mm. A, a way to look at it then is by somebody participating, you, you, we help build the fishing net that becomes fine-tuned to catch the right things for going forward. Is that, is that a good analogy? Yes, yeah, Steve. I wish I had that net yesterday, man. <laughs> 16 hours of chasing tuna. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, but the tuna didn't cooperate so well. Uh -huh. But no, you're exactly right. We're building this gigantic foundation here for research. You know, we've been able to do that through my entire career with these repositories and the validations and the samples that we do. We just didn't have a chance with COVID. Sure. So we're kind of coming in on the backside now right. and making sure we're prepared for the next mm -hmm. one. At the same time, staying on top of COVID where we are so we can be staying with those advances and having the right test. And once again, detecting that donor as early as we possibly mm -hmm. can to be able to treat them more successfully. So now the money question, how does somebody start? Where do, they, where do they go to say, I wanna participate, I'll sign up for the two yep, diagnostics? Sure. So um, first of all, we usually have seven or eight different programs running at a time. Yep. Okay, so we do have this big repository, but you know, we're also, for instance, developing a test for ferritin, which is a, an iron test, okay, and that's more accurate. So we're doing a collection for ferritin. We're doing another one for thyroid hormones, for TSH. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're doing another one for pregnant women. Okay, we're looking at first trimester pregnancies and how certain markers are affected. So the best thing you can do is call into the office and our scheduler will talk to you about the different collections we have going on here and see which ones that you're eligible for. Sure. And um, you know, if you wanna come down here and help us with that repository, that would be outstanding. We're actually gonna start actively collecting for that next week. But there's a number of other studies where you might come in and just do a couple of blood tubes. Mm -hmm. In every case, when you come in, there's always some type of a gift card. We want to okay. make it worth your while, sure. right? So we could send you a, a sheet that has all the studies on it and how many tubes for each, and you can pick and choose what you want. Mm -hmm. Just please realize that every one of these things we do, we do as carefully as we possibly can for the safety of the donor. And you know, for anybody that's gone to the doctor's office and had to go into the back room and donate a few blood tubes, you should have the exact same experience. Mm -hmm. The only difference is we're gonna interview you for 45 minutes before that and get, us, get the information to support that sample that we're collecting. Yeah, and again, so we can because of HIPAA, all of that history effectively is with our individual doctors or healthcare providers, but you don't have that and you need to do capture exactly. that data to associate with the records going forward. Again, de-identified, but yep. at least capture the data yep. so that it'll go with the barcode or code, whatever, that know that they'll know as they go into the testing, oh, Steve had COVID here, he's had the vaccines, he's had this, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly, and what's really important for us is that folks know their vaccine status. And it's okay whether they did, they did or didn't have it. Mm -hmm. That's not what this is about. Right. If you never had the vaccine, that's important for us too, to understand. That's still a piece of the data set. Exactly, exactly, so it doesn't matter, but, um, you know, if you have, we need to have a copy of either your vaccine card or a record of sure. when you had yep. your vaccinations and what they were, because yep. that helps us build that clinical data set, right? So, um, but really that's the only thing we're asking is for folks to come in and so they can call here, 
508-384-0033, or they can go to the website and sign up. There's a, we've got QR codes. We've got flyers that we're getting out around town. Mm -hmm. If any of the local businesses would like to help us and support us, we'd love to give you some flyers to hand out to folks. Sure. Um, you know, we're just, we need a community effort here. And, um, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to reach out and, and reach out to the folks, get their support, and um, hopefully move, this, move the, the arrow forward here. And, uh, you know, keep the ball rolling so we can stay ahead of this thing. Because I really feel we're finally ahead of COVID right. with the testing mm -hmm. and the therapeutics are getting there. But we're kind of ahead of this thing. And it's, it's always been to me, if you can detect somebody early, you keep them from getting sick. Yeah. We had a lot of situations where family members would show up here during COVID. One or two were sick. And we test everybody, and we identified who was sick and who wasn't, and then they stayed apart. Mm -hmm. And sure. in many cases, it never spread to the rest of the family. It's right. all about knowing and having that knowledge and then using that to keep everybody else safe. And then incorporating whatever protocols are appropriate for either the family or the hygiene, et exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. You know, COVID is another virus. It can be a little bit more infectious than other virus, but it's just a virus. And mm -hmm. it does the same thing. It goes through the similar cycles. It's just unfortunate. Like with other viruses, there are certain portions of our population that struggle with it. They're more at risk than others, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we're here to hopefully identify how to identify those folks by testing mm -hmm. so we can help them out. And at the same time, we're working on these wonderful therapeutics with these other companies. By the way, they're going to be collecting at blood banks all over the country for this process mm -hmm. to make this therapeutic. And we're the centralized testing lab for identifying all the right materials for them to use. Right. You know, we're looking forward to a lot of success. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of faces. And I know this might sound funny, Steve, but I went through the entire pandemic knowing everybody by their nostrils. <laughs> you know, it's because everybody had masks on. And so it'll be really nice to see some yeah. faces. Yeah and um, interact more with the folks and start to know people by the smiles right. and, and, and not by collecting a swab. Absolutely, yeah, so. and certainly while we were able to via Zoom, for example, hold meetings, et cetera, finally seeing somebody, you know, people would say, oh, Steve, I didn't know you were that tall because we only had the headshot it's in the true. window. It's so true. It's very, very different, uh, without a doubt. And it's just nice to have everybody back again. Yeah. And, um, you know, we welcome the donors to come in. Obviously, if you're not feeling well and you have symptoms, Go. do not, you know, call us ahead of time. We will collect you um, outside of the facility in a very safe manner. We have a collection center set up. It's not a problem. But um, you know, for these most of these programs we're doing, these are just healthy folks. Yeah. They were sick at some point, or they had something in the past, and we're just following the antibodies and the and the markers of those diseases mm -hmm. and the samples that we collect. Right. And we'll include in the show notes any of the info that you can share with us. Certainly, the phone number will include the website, uh, PDF flyer, whatever. Perfect. Um, and effectively, you just want people to call and say, what are the options? How can I help? That would be fantastic. We would really appreciate that a lot. And it's really going to go towards a great cause. You know, It sounds like you know, you can do a lot. And we're fortunate, grateful for being in Franklin. But if we can be a healthier Franklin, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely, 100%. You know, We worked really hard in the pandemic. We kept a lot of Franklin businesses open. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. But because that's. That's what we do, you yeah. know? And if it was something else, those other businesses would be helping us. Mm -hmm. I've never been in a community like this before where you go to start up a new division in your company, everybody in town lines up and goes, how can we help? Mm -hmm. 
Um, we're building our third facility here, um, you know, working with the town. They've been very, very helpful, and we're trying to get things done quickly. But this is a great place to run a business. The community is very, very supportive, and we just do what we can to try to give back to the community as much as we can. Sure. And so, you know, our ability to do testing and help people out, that was great, you mm -hmm. know. But that's what we do. And so anybody would have stepped up and done that. Cool. Well, I think we covered a bunch in terms of what we really wanted to do. So this, again, to recap, kind of you're building a test repository. You need our help to do so. It's minimum two visits. Could be a longer on the first one because you take the data capture, but then it's kind of like a blood donation. You get the half bag once, half bag the second time. If you choose to participate in one of the other tests, then it's more a vial or two, depending on which test you're participating in. And oh, by the way, there's some compensation for this especially as an incentive to make sure you complete the two tests or the two visits accordingly. It's pretty much got that so far? That's fantastic, Stephen. The last piece I'll say is that when we're done with this collection, it goes into another phase. Now we start collecting people longitudinally where we'll have somebody come in every three months for two years. Okay. And this is more for research for long COVID. Yes. So this is just the start. We're just building the foundation here, mm -hmm. and then this will continue. And we'll have an incredible repository by the time we're done, which will allow researchers to be able to react instantly the next time we have a pandemic. Mm. And it'll be great to have those tools instead of everybody wondering what's really going on. Yeah, the fear factor and the doom scrolling, we want to get away from that. We want to deal 100%. with the science use the science to help us. Exactly. So. Look, I've always let science lead every decision we've made at this company here, and science and the donor. Mm -hmm. And we're doing everything we can to get the best out of science to help those folks. And we'll, do we, we have that challenge every day. Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, it's kind of what makes our job fun. Good. Yeah, well, I've had fun listening and learning, and hopefully the listeners have had fun too. I think we're set. Do you need yep. nothing else at the moment? Nope. I think we're in great shape, Steve. We'll put all that information out for the for the collections, and um, we're going to get started next week. So we hope we see half the town here. Yeah, That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. I want to see a line out the door. That would be <laughs> coming out. <laughs> I'll tell you, you'd make a lot of people very, very happy. Yeah. And, and honestly, um, to the community, we really, really would appreciate your help and your support. And you've been a huge help to us all through pandemic with a lot of the samples that we collected here. And we're really hopeful that these new collections will allow us to keep research moving forward and at the same time help us make more therapeutics to help those that really need help during COVID. Mm -hmm. Steve, thank you for your time. Well, I really appreciate thank it. Thank you for your time because, you know, we, we chatted and I knew some of this, but yeah, I think we've encapsulated it so that people can understand and appreciate and then come because that's yes. really the, th the key piece there. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Oh, it's our pleasure. And for the listeners, quick reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008. 
and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.